Thanks, Jonas. The thing with reading out the commandments is that sometimes the reading would be quite short. Um, so, to hear what our commandment is that we're looking at this morning, this is what it says in Exodus chapter 20, verse 12. Honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Um, there is a wrestling match going on right as we speak. You didn't realize it, did you? There's a cultural wrestling match. Now, Maybe you remember the 1980s Saturday afternoons wrestling. Do you remember those? <laughs> Big Daddy John Haystacks. Right. So, uh, in honoring of that, we're going to talk about um, this, uh, this uh, bite, which is happening at the moment. In the red corner, we have the patriarch of the covenant. We have himself, Moses. In the blue corner, we have Peppa Pig. Now, this is where it gets, people start worrying about me. Um, <laughs> don't start worrying about me, okay. Moses and Peppa Pig. Hi. Now, I know that for a fact that people who know me are probably putting their heads in their hands going, he's going to go off on one about Peppa Pig again. Um, I've got a particular hobby horse about Peppa Pig, all right? If you don't know the story of Peppa Pig, Peppa is a pig. <laughs> she is a pig child. She has a family, you know, a child pig or something. <laughs> but it's not just Peppa Pig, it's a whole gamut of things. Because I think Peppa Pig and a whole gamut of children's programs and indeed other programs that we watch and we laugh at absolutely denigrate the role of parents in society. I think particularly Peppa Pig totally denigrates the value of fatherness and fatherhood. And I'll tell you why, because Daddy Pig is a fool. He is always a fool. He is always the one making the mistakes. Always the one doing stupid things. Never is the hero of the story. And Peppa always has to bail him out of a rubbish situation. Always. And of course, we laugh and go, isn't that cute? And yet there's loads of other TV programs where parents, not just the father, but the parents are the figures of fun. They're the ones who get the family in a sticky situation. And it's the children that often know better and pull them out of the sticky situation. So I think there is a bite that is going on, culturally at the moment, between honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God has given you, and Peppa Pig. I think it's a serious issue. I think the importance of family, of parents, has been lost a great deal. I think even those who take family and parenting extremely seriously don't have a full comprehension just how significant as an individual family and as a society you have a role to play in. That's why this commandment is not just as plain as it appears on paper. Honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. We're going to look at a couple of questions about this. We're looking at why, we're looking at what, and we're looking at how. But the thing is, I need to set out at the very beginning a bit of glossary. When we're talking about father and mother, some people might go, well, not married yet, haven't got any kids, so tune out. 
Or maybe I've got grandchildren. Uh, I'm all done with that now. Tune out. Don't, because this is for everybody. In a cultural setting, this is more than biology. This is father and mother is more than a donor and an incubator and then a food provider. It is much more than that. It's not a biology, it's upbringing. And that is a cultural thing, and particularly in the Old Testament, the idea of family and parenthood is much broader than what we think of biological mum and dad. I'm talking about even in today's society, we have lots of different types of families. We've got blended families. We've got step families. We've got adopted families. We've got single parent families. And all those parental figures are included in this command. But even more, we're also talking about spiritual fathers and mothers. We're also talking about father and mother figures within our community, within our family here as a church. You... um, you may know something about um, Abraham Maslow, who was a, a very clever man. He came up with this hierarchy of needs. And the needs of a, every basic need of a, of a human being starts with physiological needs. So breathing, food, water, shelter, clothing, sleep. Physiological things that you need, otherwise you can't survive. On top of that, the next most important thing for a human flourish, uh, human flourishing is safety and security. That's found in health and employment and money, social stability. It's found in family. And then what else is it found in? Love and belonging is the next level up. Again, found in family. Fundamental needs are met in this institution called family. That's why this commandment is important. So we're looking at um, the why. So the first thing, the reason why this commandment exists. Let me, let me say, I wish there was an 11th commandment. And I wish the 11th commandment said, thou shalt breathe. Because it's really essential, isn't it? If these things are essential, then we should be told some other things. Thou shalt eat. But we don't have that. Why? Because we do it anyway. These commandments are in place because they're needed, because the alternative wasn't happening. So people were not honoring their father and mother. They were not not committing adultery. (laughs) They were not not stealing. That's the reason the commands, all of them are there, because the alternative was happening. So I don't know about you, but I wasn't told how to argue with my parents. Maybe you were, I wasn't. It just came naturally to me. And we'll touch on this maybe a little bit later on. There's a certain naturalness to that and a certain healthiness to that kind of journey from from dependence to independence to interdependence, which is the human journey. But people are rebellious against parents, against authorities. This commandment was needed because it wasn't happening amongst Israel. It certainly wasn't happening in the nations around them. It certainly wasn't happening in Egypt. This concept of family that we're so familiar with is actually a biblical concept. Family is important because it is needed. It is an institution that God started. It is important. God's intention for the family is a place of security, a place of growth, a place of unconditional love. That is the God intention of family. And I know for a fact that maybe people are sitting in the seats right now, as they did in the first service, cringing at the thought of we're exploring the concept of family. And maybe even worse, fathers and mothers. Because it isn't often that that ideal that God wants for us. The importance of family is seen throughout Scripture. 
We see throughout um, Leviticus, we see in Proverbs, we see in Deuteronomy, we see all through into the New Testament loads of laws and guidelines about how to live in family because it is the fundamental structure of society. The fundamental building block. It's the structure that society is built around. It is the first part of humans living together is family. Now, I am not going to do the old, oh, back in the day, it was all lovely. Children knew their place and parents knew where to put them. That kind of thing. We're not harking back because the good old days were not that good. We look at misty eyes at how wonderful it was when, you know, children were seen and not heard and all that garbage, because let me tell you, those family units were as dysfunctional as ours are. When things were hidden, abuse and misogyny was hidden, that's not healthy. So let's not think this is about going back to the good old days. It's about going back to what is God's intention in this command and for family. So it is a societal structure, that's why this is important. But also it's the only command that seems to have a reward to it. In fact, Paul writes about this in Ephesians. He said, this is the only command with a promise. And the promise or the reward says in in Exodus, it says, so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. That's often been interpreted as as a reward. Actually, how about instead of it being a reward for good behavior, it's a result of a consequence. If you live like this, that will be the result. If you honor your parents, your father and your mother, you will live long in the land your God has given you because society will be continuing in a healthy way. What do I mean by that? I mean because the family is the place of learning. It is fundamentally the place of learning. Until relatively recently, the family was all based at home, including work. It's a 19th century industrial revolution uh, event where the fathers of a family went and worked elsewhere and then brought the money in. Otherwise, the father would, and I know this sounds sexist, the father would teach the son the skill that he handed on. So whether you were a smith or a, um, a carpenter or whatever, you taught your son and the mother taught the daughter how to run the household. That was back in the day, but everything happened in the house. Education happened in the house. Teaching happened in the house. Values were passed on from mother to daughter and father to son. It was a passing on of the baton. Honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. I think this is a hinge commandment. What I mean by hinge commandment is I read the commandments, all ten of them, and I realized this is slap bang in the middle. Often we think there's, there's the first four that are about God and then the last six that are about people. Actually, the first four are about God. Yeah, absolutely. But there's this one in the middle, which actually is a hinge point. So how does it link commandments about God and commandments about how to treat others? Well, put it this way. Our first concept of God is experienced through our parents. It was even Sigmund Freud, who was an atheist, said, our concept, our our attitude or our interpretation of our father influences our concept of God. He apparently knew what he was talking about. (laughs) But it's our first experience of dependence, of nurture, of love, unconditional love, or it should be from our parents. So our first concept of God is through our parents. Before we know about Adam and Eve, Jacob and... um, 
Who's his brother? Esau, isn't it? No, I, I, you know, him there. That's what I'm talking about. Abraham and all that stuff. Our first experience of God is experienced through our parents for good and for ill. And this is why I think this commandment is a hinge commandment because it is the parents' responsibility to make sure that the next generation knows the commands of God. Deuteronomy 4 and 9 says, Be careful, watch yourselves closely, so you do not forget the things your eyes have seen, or let them fade from your heart as long as you live. And do what? Teach them to your children and to their children after them. It is the parent, the father, the mother. Notice it's not just about honoring the father, even in a patriarchal society. Honor the father and mother. It's their job to pass on the story of God to the next generation. To Pass on how to live as God's people. That's why father and mother need to be respected because they have a duty to pass on the story of God. And then if they have been honored and listened to, the children will then pass it on to their children. That's why, have you ever realized, there's loads of genealogies in the Bible because generationalism mattered. Families mattered. Paul takes this up in Ephesians chapter 6. He said, Fathers, don't anger or exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Training, better understanding of it is discipline, which isn't a clout around the ear. It's about living a disciplined, ordered law, God's law-filled life. Remember God's law, which is love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Bring them up in a disciplined and instruction. A better understanding is counsel. It's carrot and stick. It's about getting alongside. So these things, this is the responsibility of parents, fathers and mothers, to teach and counsel, discipline the next generation so that they will do the same. The carrying on of the gospel. And children, young people and adults, listen up and act upon it. Honor and respect them in this. But our society has developed a thing where we have co-opted education out of the household to experts. And yes, I think we, I'm not into homeschooling necessarily. It's good that we have good education systems. But we've also co-opted and abdicated our spiritual, the spiritual responsibility for our children and young people to Matt and his team and Chloe and her team. It's not instead of, it's as well as. We have a responsibility for our children and young people, both biological and community-wise. But as a culture, we have co-opt that out to the state and to professionals. We've even allowed our children to have the influence, the teaching of the standards of the world over the standards of God because of their exposure to media, to their overwhelming exposure to social media online where they're getting their values from, to their peers who are the same age as them and are trying to work this out together. There's no authority it's seen today in Western culture with the fact that there is a huge gap in fathers. There's a huge dearth of fathers. If you look at the young male adult crime statistics, huge percentage of those men, young men who've been involved in violent crime, gangs, or drug-related things, have got either an abusive father figure or pretty much no father figure. So much so that there's this thing called the father wound, which has been identified by psychologists, by counselors, that people carry around with them to greater or lesser extents. I would suggest there's also the mother wound as well. 
that people can carry around with them. That something is missing. And so we need to be fathers and mothers to the children in our community. Especially those who haven't got through either divorce, through death, through choice. We have a responsibility to be fathers and mothers. Because there's a serious absence of role models. Serious absence of role models. We need elders. We need aspirational figures. We need examples and teachers. And you may think, I'm too old in a tooth to look for someone like that. No, you're not. You can still look for a father figure. And that father figure, interestingly, might be younger than you. I think of some people who've just become Christians relatively recently, and the people who are mentoring them are younger than them. Father figures, mother figures. We need these, desperately need them. So you may not be a biological parent, but that doesn't rule you out. Who are you being honored by as a father and a mother? Who are you honoring as a father and as a mother? So to recap the why, why is this command in here? Why is it important? Because it's needed. It provides a structure of the family when that family is passing on the teaching and instruction of God and the ways we should live for God. Where else are they going to get this and should be done by godly parents? So that's, that's the why, but we need to move on to, to what. And what I mean by that is actually what, what does honor actually mean? When we say honor your father and mother, what is that on about? And uh, perhaps you've come across this program, The Jeremy Kyle Show. Because I'm going to embarrass myself later on, I'm going to embarrass her. Helen sometimes watches this. Shame. <laughs> if you've not seen Jeremy Kyle, think of just a gathering of incredibly dysfunctional families hurling abuse at each other on live TV. That's pretty much it. It's really quite sad that these things happen. You know, it would be stories like, I don't know, a bloke who, you know, he's, he's been married twice, he's got, and has had two lovers, and, and through these, has had like, I don't know, over a dozen different children. You know, the whole mother by a different, no, brother by a different mother, sister by another mister. Have you heard those things? Maybe not, I have. Um, you know, that kind of guy... And, and, and I think this, there's the same story, this guy, you know, was, out of all these, there was, only, there was one of the kids that he, that he especially loved. If you didn't know his name, his name was Jacob. And his son was Joseph. And he had a couple of wives and a couple of mistresses called concubines. And what about the, the first father, Adam and Eve? Adam was the father and Eve was the mother. Their children worked out just fine, didn't they? And then there's, there's, there's David. You know, David was a real role model as a family, wasn't it? Married, had children, had an affair, had another child who became king. The other ones got really annoyed and the kingdom split. So these are the, the families that we're having presented to us in the Bible. These families are actually just as dysfunctional as ours. They could appear on a Canaanite Jeremy Kyle show. So we could learn what does honor mean in this biblical context that will be just as relevant as today. So we know what honoring should be. We know what the picture is. And this is the picture of an honoring child, isn't it? We're reminded every Christmas of what the standard is. Because the standard is Christian children all should be mild, obedient, good as he. 
shouldn't they? It's up there with a way in a manger. No crying heat. That is theologically vacuous. <laughs> Nonsense. Christian children all should be mild, obedient, good. As he. Well, if that's true, Jesus wasn't so good because he actually disagreed with his mom at times. What's that about? But we have this picture, this angelic picture of what a, a good child should be. should be obedient. Actually, honor does not mean that. Honor does not mean obey. If it had meant obey, God would have said the commandment is obey your father and mother and then everything will work out for you at home. It doesn't. It says it in Ephesians, but it says in Ephesians because it's an application to a culture, to a society of this principle. Honoring does not mean obey. It also doesn't mean that you always agree. As I said, Jesus disagreed with his, with his mom, with his family. There's a lot of giggling over by Reverend Holmes. I'm a bit worried about this. <laughs> Do you need to leave and gather, get yourself together again? <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> Honoring doesn't mean you necessarily always agree. Honoring also doesn't mean you necessarily like a person. That you like what they get up to. I have permission to share this story. I don't come out of it great. And that's why I'm allowed to share it. <laughs> a number of years ago, um, you, I know it's going to be really hard, but um, I was in a particularly grumpy mood one day. I know, I know, I know. Surprised. Um, and Neve, beautiful, lovely Neve, my daughter, was being an utter annoyance. <laughs> um, but she did something really minor, and I flipped. I went right over the top. I know it's not in my nature, is it? Don't answer that. I got really annoyed, and I, I, I reacted over the top to this small misdemeanor. And Reuben stuck his nose in and put me in my place, told me I was out of order for the way I was speaking to her. I was furious with him, and I told him so. But part of me was so proud of him, because actually I want to raise children. I want to raise sons and a daughter that will stand up for injustice when they see it. So as well as being really annoyed at him, I was so proud he was seeing something that was wrong and saying, Dad, you're out of order. That was honoring. He didn't like me very much at the time. He didn't agree with me. And he wasn't obeying because I told him to keep quiet and he wouldn't. <laughs> he was honoring me as a parent in that situation. Of course, it was the only time it ever happened. <laughs> it also doesn't mean that you excuse a parent's behavior. They're out of order. Just honoring doesn't mean, oh, well, never mind. It also means you don't always, it's not necessarily always praising. We think honor as, you know, oh, praising, praising. No, sometimes it isn't. Honor also does not mean love. You cannot command love in a way. So if these are the things that, that honor don't mean, but I think this is, how, this is how we've read it so often and maybe caused a great deal of grief and guilt because we haven't done this. I remember thinking I was dishonoring my parents because I didn't obey them to, you know, putting the dishes away or something. Because I wrecked with guilt going, is that, is that what it means? No, it doesn't. Honor comes from the Hebrew word kavod. Kavod is also the word for wit, significance. It's also the word for glory. But this is what it means. Wit, 
significance, value, esteem, and respect. Tim Keller does a great um, um, interpretation of this passage. He says, it is a moral choice. Honoring is a moral choice. It's not one that is in reaction to someone's behavior. It's a choice that you make because only you can be responsible for your attitude and your actions and your ways of reacting to people. It is a choice you make and it's a moral one. In fact, he quotes um, a sociologist who said that it is an un, right, honoring is an unsentimental moral nucleus for relationship with parents. You'll know from your own experience of not getting on with your mom and dad because they told you not to wear that outfit and you get really annoyed, but we're still told and the way to speak to them is to honor them, to give them weight, significance. But the fact is, some parents have been cruel. I'm not talking about narky parents. There is history of parents who have been cruel. We hear about it on the news. Maybe we've even experienced it ourselves. So how do we handle that moral choice? So how, what, what, does it, what does it look like? How can we honor in situations like that? What does honoring look like? And it's in so many different ways. I was just talking to someone just after the first service, and, and she was saying how honoring a parent one way, uh, another person might honor them a different way. There's a story about King Darius, and uh, his father had died. He wanted some advice about how to best honor him, so his kingdom was quite large, so he invited some Greeks. And he said, so, Greeks, can you tell me, how would you honor your dead father? He said, oh, dead easy. We'd build a huge wooden funeral pyre, put him on there, and burn him, and then take the, take the, the, the cremated ashes and scatter them into the sea to honor him. Okay, so you wouldn't eat him. No, don't be so silly. He went, okay, that's good. So he called these other people who lived in the far east of his kingdom. He said, come here, I want to ask you, how would you honor your dead father? Oh, we know how we do that. We eat him. He said, you eat him? He said, yes, you're taking in his life force, and it's the most honorable thing you can do to him. He said, so you wouldn't cremate him? Cremate him? How dishonorable. Different cultures. And maybe have different ways of honoring, but also different stages of life have different ways of honoring. You wouldn't honor your parents in the same way as a one-year-old and a 50-year-old. Different ways of honoring. So we're going to look at, very briefly, we're going to look at four ways that we can honor. And it's going to come up. First one's accept and forgive. All parents, the best and the worst, make mitsakes. Did anyone else see the mitsake? Everyone's going, why is he saying mitsake? <laughs> All parents, the best and the worst, have made mistakes. If you're a parent, you will probably have made some already this morning and probably will make some later on today. If you're not yet a parent, you will make mistakes. If you're a parent who is now a grandparent, you know the heritage that you've made mistakes. We all make mistakes because we are all fallen. That's the first thing. But also, we make mistakes because we are formed by the influences that made us, like our parents and our culture. 
So if we've had bad examples of parenting, we will probably um, either take those examples into our parenting habitually or we'll react against them, but that will still influence. We have to accept that our parents are not perfect, which is why parents need to apologize to their children when they mess up. Because it's an important thing for a child to realize a parent's not perfect. But the truth is, the majority are trying their best. They're trying their best. There's a great quote from Michelle Pfeiffer who said, Like all parents, my husband and I are doing the best we can. We're holding our breath and we're hoping we've set aside enough money for our children's therapy. Majority of parents have and are doing the best they can. In a time when parenting and families and individuals are probably at the most stressed they've ever been with work pressures, societal pressures, image pressures, they're trying to do a job for which there's no training. If you want a pet, you have to apply for a license. If you want to adopt, you've got to go through a process. If you want to breed, well, you know what you can do. That's why it's more than biology. It's upbringing as well. And there are lots of methods for parenting. The Earl of Rochester in the 17th century, he said, Before I got married, I had six theories of how to bring up children. And now I'm married, I have six children and no theories. (laughs) Most parents are doing their best. And most parents are doing their best sometimes with really difficult situations with their children, either through health, behavior issues, Sometimes children have come from, especially adopted situations, where because they've not had the important sacred trust from a parent very, very early on, they, they don't know how to operate. They've got um, detachment issues, and, a, and a, an adoption family has got to handle that. We've known about that from friends in this fellowship. Parents are doing the best they can. It is important that you as a parent grandparent, whatever, do not compare yourself to others. By all means, compare notes, but don't compare yourselves because we're all doing the best we can. Rob Parsons, who runs Care for the Family, once did a big seminar on um, parenting and the room was full of parents. And he said, before I start, I just want to tell you that undoubtedly you are doing better than you think you are. A massive audible sigh of relief. You're doing much better than you think you are. As a parent, grandparent, you've probably done a lot better than you think you have done. As a prospective parent, you will do better than you think you were doing. And at the moment, if you're a parent, you will be doing better than you think you are. You're probably your own worst critic. But the truth is, it's important to recognize that this commandment, and as soon as I said, honor your father and mother, for some people, even sat here, was like a twist of a, of a burning knife or rubbing salt into a wound because there's no way on this earth could you ever comprehend honoring your father and mother because of what happened in the past. Whether intentionally or unintentionally, for some people have experienced damage, scarring and abuse, which is still haunting them, whether you are 25, 45, 75. The actions or the inactions of parents or parental figures perhaps have made it... Go back. Sorry. 
perhaps have made it impossible ethically, emotionally, psychologically for you to honor your parents. And you, you saw it there. I'll just put it back up again. This is a word I felt was right for you to hear. You are not condemned for that. You are not condemned for the fact you find it so hard to honor your father and your mother because of what they did to you or because of what they didn't do for you. God says you are not condemned. God knows what you went through. God knows the pain and the struggles that you're still going through because of it. And he says you are not condemned. For those who've been victims of abuse and victims of the betrayal of the sacred trust of God in the family unit, which is what he set it up for, to be a place of security, safety, growth, and unconditional love, you have experienced conditional love. You have experienced rejection. You have experienced lies. You're too fat. You're too thin. You're too academic. You're too sporty. You're not sporty enough. You're not working hard enough. You're always let me down. You were a mistake. And we're still carrying those. And so what I feel is God wants to encourage you, invite you, and, and, and help you to choose to forgive. And it is a choice. And it's sometimes a very difficult choice. To be released from the chains of hurt, of trauma, of the lies and the insecurities that maybe you as a whatever age adult are going, I still feel trapped by, but I'm not letting anyone know about it. God invites you to accept and forgive to release those chains. Perhaps we all need to, to some extent. It may be for the smallest bad habit that you've picked up right through to the most heinous breaches of parental trust. God invites you to choose to forgive. And perhaps that is the only honoring you could possibly ever give to your mother or father or another parenting influence. A guy called Harold Bloomfield wrote, um, he wrote the rest of this quote as well. Um, he wrote saying, the psychological truth is that holding on to our past resentments towards our parents robs us of our current peace of mind and our ability to experience satisfaction in the here and now relationships. Remember, forgiveness is not about um, condoning. It's not about excusing. It's not, sometimes not even about accepting. It's about choosing to re be released from a hold and a grip that you do not need to be gripped by any longer. I also think God wants to invite you to discover Him. To discover Him as your real father, as your real mother, as your real parent. I believe that strongly this morning. The best parent for whom all earthly parents are a cover version of an original. And we know that cover versions come in lots of different qualities. Some are really good and some are really dreadful. But the original is the best. God, the original and the best and perfect parent, invites you to know him more. Don't look to your parents no matter how good or bad they were, and think God is just a bigger version of them because God is so much more. Instead, find your security, your identity, your worth, and that unconditional love in the ultimate parent, the ultimate father, the ultimate mother of God. 
measure them, good and bad, against Abba, Father. And so maybe that's one of the hardest things that we can say to people who've experienced this betrayal of that sacred trust. Accept and forgive. It may be the only honoring you can do to your parents, but it may be even more honoring to yourself. And very quickly, just the last couple of things. As well as accepting and forgiving, we are talking about appreciating. Appreciating what parents have done. Parenting is the hardest job. Involves patience, heart, time, and sacrifice. And it's interesting, some of the criticisms I had of my parents as a child have now turned into comprehensions as a father. (laughs) And I go, oh, so that's why they did that. And maybe you, you identify, you can hear yourself saying the things that your parents said to you. Maybe it's just me. Philip Larkin wrote a poem, and I'm not going to use the original version, but he, he, if anyone knows, it's called This Be the Verse. He says, they mess you up, your mum and dad. Doesn't use the word mess. I'm leaving it to your own, own. And it's an incredibly negative poem. Basically says, parents mess you up, so don't breed. <laughs> so negative. Our fathers and mothers have done so much for us. Tell them. They want to be appreciated for what they've done. We have a, a tradition in our, in our family, which is um, birthday essays. So when we get a birthday card, um, it's not just, um, dear dad, happy birthday, love, Jacob. We've developed a tradition, which uh, I think it comes from Helen's family in particular, because she's all very literary, um, where you write down a heartfelt and sincere message. Like, it's like an essay. And I've just had my birthday, and we were in Edinburgh, and I was opening up these cards, and I was reading things from my children that made me cry. I know I cry at anything, but I was crying over these things because they were affirming me as a dad. Let me tell you, throughout a lot of the year, I could think that either they're lying or they're talking about someone else because I don't recognize the person they're describing. But it's a tradition that started because Helen has done that for years with her family. And so our kids are doing that as well. And I feel, even in that small moment, appreciated as a dad, even though I immediately think of the times, the one time that I lost my temper. (laughs) Honor your children, and your children will honor you. If your children honor you, and they see um, you honoring your your parents, that will be continued. So if you honor your parents, your children will see you um, honoring them, they will more likely honor you. But remember, to be honored, you need to be honorable. Tell your parents, tell your father figures, parental or biological or whatever. Remember, this command is the only one with a time limit on it because parents pass away. So take advantage. Most parents need to know that what they've done for you, if it's at all of worth or value, let them know. It's why they get choked up and embarrassing whenever you got your swimming badge or your first steps or your first job or when you got married or when you won that prize for that painting, which was really quite awful, but you won a prize anyway. It's why they get choked up because they're seeing their investment in you growing. And don't delay because at some point it might be too late. Tell those who are in some way parental figures to you what they are worth and what they've done for you. Don't abandon them. Proverbs 23, 
that we're reading and says, don't despise your mother when she is old. It continues into the New Testament in 1 Timothy and other places says, look after the widow and the orphan. There, is, there was something which marked out the early church. They looked after the elderly. They looked after the widows. And I know it's really difficult today in 21st century life to be able to juggle the duty of care of, a, of an aging parent, an aging grandparent. It's not easy juggling that with the immediate family needs of today's society. And how it looks for you is up to you to work out. But please don't abandon them. Don't abandon them. If they're in a nursing home or residential home, go visit them. Call them. Tell them they're still worth something in your eyes. And if they're not at that stage at the moment, the next thing to do to honor is to ask, to involve them. Part of everyone's journey as we talked from dependence to independence to interdependence is thinking that you know better than mom and dad. It's an important step. But actually, I can't, there's a kind of naturalness to that, but especially when children supersede their parents' knowledge, like whenever my kids beat me at any of the games that they play, Honoring is still considering that they may have a voice. They may have an opinion. They may have something, a point of view, which is valuable to you that you can listen to, not necessarily accept, but you are including them in your life, asking for their advice. It says you still have a voice. It says you still have significance. It says you still have wit. You have kabad. You have honor. It says in John 1, 12 to 13, that we have been made children of God through Jesus. It says in Romans that we've not been given a spirit of fear, but a spirit of sonship, of daughterhood. I'm going to invite the band up. And uh, we've covered an awful lot about this command, which basically maybe just presumes says, be nice to your parents, but there's so much more. I realized some of the things we talked about may have been like that twisting of a knife or that salt in a wound because you're still carrying something that needs addressing, small ways or big ways. The prayer team is going to be up here at the front as well. But we're going to worship together. And in the midst of this worship, if you feel that you would like someone to pray with you over something that's been raised this morning, if you feel that you want to know how to honor better, or maybe you're carrying as a parent wounds of not being honored, don't walk away going, oh, well, never mind. Please be restored. Be freed. Be told that you don't have a spirit of fear, but a spirit of sonship and daughterhood from a perfect God who loves you. Let's pray together. Can I invite the prayer team up while we do this? Paul writes in Romans 8, You didn't receive a spirit that makes you a slave to fear. So do not fear God as your father. You received the spirit of sonship of daughterhood. And by that spirit, we cry, Daddy. Daddy. Mommy. Perfect parent, Father. And the Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. 
And if we're children of God, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, who may indeed share in his sufferings in order that we share in his glory. Father God, you are the perfect Father. And for some, that may be an incredibly difficult concept. But Lord, may we find our security and identity and our worth and the unconditional love in you demonstrated on that cross, which makes us adopted into your family, adopted and of worth. Holy Spirit, where we need healing, healing of ungodly habits that we've inherited or healing of hurts that have been inflicted upon us. Holy Spirit, would you come now with your healing balm and restore us, we pray. Come, Holy Spirit. Give us the strength and the help to honor those who pass on the God story to us. Give us the help and the strength to honor those for whom it feels impossible to honor. Give us the strength and the ability to make that choice, that initial choice to choose to forgive and to find our wholeness in you, Jesus. Jesus.